going to the Word of God then, to the book of Acts, chapter 20. Book of Acts, chapter 20. Apostle Paul speaking here. Verse 22, he said, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. 24, verse 24, But none of these things move me. And that is a very bold statement indeed. And if we didn't know who said it, we would think it would be very presumptuous. We would think it would be too self-assured. But we do know who said it. And we do know Paul through the scriptures. And we know that he wasn't a man that was given to saying things lightly. This was no idle boast on his part. He always spoke in measured and reasoned terms. There's nothing flash about the apostle Paul. And he certainly wasn't speaking in any kind of a vacuum here. After all, he had been through some stuff in life. In that particular chapter, in verse 19, he talks about tears and trials and the plotting of the Jews. In verse 23, he said that everywhere I go, in every city, chains and tribulations await me. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he goes over one or two things that he recalled that happened to him in his ministry. In verse 22 of 2 Corinthians 11, he says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often. In perils of waters. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils amongst false brethren in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, and besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Well, that's some list, isn't it? And so we realize that when Paul is speaking about none of these things move me, we realize they're not just empty words. This man knows what he's talking about. And so Paul warns in Colossians 1.23, Be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. 
1 Corinthians 15, 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. In Galatians 1 and 6, he says, I marvel, I'm absolutely amazed that you are so soon removed, moved away from the hope of the gospel. I said I can hardly believe it. I'm amazed. So quickly had you received the gospel, just as quickly you move away from it. There are many who are easily moved from Christ, from the gospel, from faith, from their calling, from their vision or their dream. And even ourselves at times, whenever we felt we were really strong, when we felt that we were right on top of things, and then suddenly something happens, knocks us for six, something happens and we are, find ourselves shaken. Why? How? What happens to us? Might be an irreversible loss. Maybe a precious loved one dies. And it's irreversible. They're never going to come back. Maybe it's a loved one who walks out on us. As far as they're concerned, it's irreversible. They're never going to come back. Maybe it's a bitter disappointment. You believe somebody, you trust it in something, let you down, failed you, you find yourself extremely disappointed. Last thing you thought would happen, last person you thought could do that. But there you go, it's happened. So sometimes we find ourselves with a sudden reversal. We find ourselves that our hope gets deferred and before you know it, there's a crisis of faith. Your confidence takes a dive, your faith begins to wobble, your resolve falters. Now, Paul never said that he didn't feel these things. He wasn't impervious to pain or to hurt. He wasn't without emotion. In fact, we know that because he prayed three times for that thorn in the flesh to be removed from him, that messenger of Satan that buffeted him regularly. And being a human being, he didn't like it any more than anybody else. He didn't want it any more than anybody else. In fact, he wanted to get rid of it. And he sought the Lord fervently three times. Please, God, take this away from me. But the Lord says, no, my grace will be sufficient. It'll just make your shoulders bigger to carry it. And so it was just that, in spite of all of those things, it was just that he said, it doesn't move me. It doesn't blow me off course. That's what he's saying. Stuff happens. It's inevitable. Job says man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. It's inevitable. Things will happen. And he acknowledged the stuff that happened. In fact, he, he, he kept a diary of it. He was able to tell every time... Five times, he says, I received 40 stripes, save one of the Jews. Three times, shipwrecked. He had it all counted. So it wasn't as if he just 
lightly forgot about it. But he says, in spite of it all, none of these things move me. It doesn't blow me off course. One of the very last things that Paul ever said, it's ever recorded that he wrote, was to young Timothy, the pastor. He says, I have run my race. I have finished my course. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. None of these things move me. Amen. How can we be like this? How can we stop ourselves from being easily moved? Because I'm sure if you're anything like me, you want to run your race, you want to finish your course, you want to keep the faith, don't you? You want to end well. Starting's the easy part. It's ending well is the thing that counts, isn't it? First of all, make God your source. Make God your fountainhead. Make God your center. James says every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or turning. God doesn't wobble or waver. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't get up and decide on a whim what he's going to do. He gives his word and he sticks to it. The Lord uses channels, instruments, avenues, lots of different ways to meet our needs, but all these are just simply means, not the source. And how many know that the means oftentimes change? They're temporary. People change. Circumstances change. Things change. But God never changes. And if our hope and our faith is in things and means, what are we going to do when they change? But if our trust is in God, He's bigger than the means and the things, isn't He? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, He said. The gold and the silver is mine, says the Lord. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5 and 7, Paul says, We walk by faith not by sight. The Bible says that the things of this world are temporal, subject to change. Nothing lasts forever. But only God's word remains the same. That's why he's our rock. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Verse 8, Paul says, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. One verse says, Struck down, but not struck out. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life delivered, sorry, or delivered death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. 
And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise up with Jesus, us with Jesus and present us with you. Make God your source. And so whenever the changes come in life, which are inevitable, that God still remains the center and the fountainhead and the source of all of the blessing. God will find a way. Do you remember the prophet by the brook Kerith? And how he fed him with ravens morning and evening. And then when the brook dried up and the ravens flew away, he sent him to a widow of Zarephath. God always had a way, didn't he? Seemed the most unlikely way to meet his need. Seemed the most unlikely means, the ravens, the widow woman. But as long as God was his source, God was able to meet the need, wasn't he? So make God your source. Secondly, develop strong beliefs. Develop strong beliefs. Some people have no strong beliefs about anything. The book of James chapter 1 talks about not wavering. Not being like the wave of the sea tossed about with every wind. Wavering in everything but by being firm and strong and thinking right. If ever there was a generation, if ever there was a time whenever we needed strong beliefs, it's right now. If ever there's a time that all your Christian beliefs are going to be challenged, it's today. When I said this 20 years ago in here, it wasn't a problem. It's a problem today. 20, 30 years ago, what you thought was hardly ever challenged it's challenged today. It's challenged in the workplace. It's challenged at school. It's challenged at university. It's even challenged within the church today. <laughs> Half the bishops in the Church of England doesn't even believe in the resurrection. They don't even believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Develop strong beliefs. Romans 4, 20 talks about Abraham who staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He didn't stagger, he didn't waver at the promises. He has strong beliefs. James Gill said, There is no reason to stagger at or hesitate about any of the promises of God, since they are made by him that cannot lie. His faithfulness is engaged to perform them. With him all things are possible. Every promise is in Christ, yea and amen, and will never fail. <laughs> if you develop strong beliefs. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful who promised. Are you sin-shaken in your beliefs? 
somebody else comes along with a contrary belief, does it throw you? Does it make you wobble? Or do you say, now let me just check this out with the Word of God. Let me see what the book says. More and more and more, believer, today, you're going to have to say to yourself, let me see what the book says. See what the Bible says. Believe it. Be strong about it. Don't be soon shaken in your beliefs. And that will help you to be not soon moved, to be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then be bold in your righteousness. Or rather, His righteousness in you. Because we don't have any righteousness of our own. The only righteousness we've got is in Christ, isn't it? In essence, righteousness is having a right standing with God through Christ. When you come into that relationship with the Lord Jesus and you're born again of God's Spirit, you're born from above then he gives you his righteousness and you stand in his righteousness before a holy God. So righteousness is a right standing with God through Jesus Christ, knowing your place in Christ, knowing who you are in Christ. Proverbs 10 and 30 says, The righteous will never be removed. Proverbs 28 and 1, the wicked flees when no man pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. <laughs> Apostle Paul knew he was in Christ. In Acts chapter 27, you remember he was a prisoner on a ship going to Rome. You remember how they had that tremendous storm that blew up? You roughly done that great tempest that threatened to destroy all of them. And so in the midst of all of that, the Apostle Paul, he fasted and he waited on God. And in the midst of it all, he told them all, he says, don't worry. He says, the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, <laughs> he's spoken to me. And everything is going to be all right. Not one of you will be lost. <laughs> the angel of God, whose I am, to whom I belong. He knew who he belonged to. He knew who he was in Christ. In the New Testament, over 130 times, you'll find the words, in Christ, in whom we have, in him we have. Over 130 times. Even if you looked a dozen of those up, find out where they were, that'll bless you. Because if you are in Christ, that's what belongs to you. Paul said in Colossians 3, 3, that our lives are hid with Christ in God. Galatians 2, 20, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Huh. 
Realize that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. See, that will help you to stand. Because the accuser of the brethren will come to you in your weakest moments and he'll point his finger at you and he'll point to some weakness in your life and he'll condemn you. And he'll try to bring you down and shake you. But if you know who you are in Christ, that you're not perfect, that you're not sinless, but you are the righteousness of God in Christ, that you're washed in the blood of the Lamb, and that you have on that breastplate of righteousness that covers the heart. Amen? Thank God for the breastplate of righteousness. Surely the enemy can come and surely he can blame us. Absolutely. But whenever we've got a God who loves us, whenever we've got a Savior who will forgive us, whenever we repent and say, I'm sorry, Lord, and he cleanses us, we have that righteousness of Christ over our hearts. Then be prepared to stand. Ephesians 6, 10 to 17, when Paul talks about the armor of God, he said, stand. Then he said, withstand. Then he said, stand therefore. So a lot of standing in the Christian life. A lot of running too. A lot of fighting. But there's a lot of standing. And sometimes there's nothing left to do but to stand. When you have done all, Paul said, when you have prayed all your prayers, when you have used all your faith, when you have said all that the Word says, what are you going to do? You're going to stand. And you're going to stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, having on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and feet shod with the gospel of preparation and peace. You have all of the armor that God has given us to help us to stand against the wiles, the plots and the strategies of the evil one. Make no mistake about it, he's out to get you. <laughs> I'm not talking about the boogeyman here. I'm talking about a devil who hates the believer. He wants to destroy or walk with Christ. And if he could do it, he would. <laughs> but as long as we stand, as long as we stand... Paul says, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, he says, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. So are you standing? Have you done all? He said, I don't know what else to do. Just stand. Just stand. And if you stand in faith, the devil got tireder than you will. If you stand in faith, believing and trusting. And eventually, you'll have to back off because you're standing in Christ. William Wilberforce, the tender age of 21 years old, in 1780, became an MP. And eight years later, still a very young man, he began the movement in England that resulted in the abolition of the slave trade in the British West Indies. However, after many setbacks, 
He had to retire from Parliament due to ill health in 1825. And in fact, he had to wait 25 years. What he had started, he had to stand for 25 years until 1833 to see both Houses of Parliament pass the Slavery Abolition Act. Do you know when they told him? On his deathbed. In fact, he died before, a month later, before it was enacted. But at least he knew he had won the case. After 25 years, he had done everything there was to do except stand. And he stood for 25 years. Somebody said an oak tree is just a little nut that has held its ground. Greg Azikopoulopoulos. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Not even sure if I got that right. He's obviously Greek, isn't he? A name like that. He tells of a commuter flight from Portland, Maine to Boston. The pilot, Henry Dempsey, heard an unusual noise at the rear of the small aircraft. So he turned the controls over to his co-pilot and he went back to investigate. And as he reached the tail section, the plane hit an air pocket. And Dempsey was tossed against the rear door. And he quickly discovered the source of the mysterious noise. The rear door had not been properly latched prior to takeoff. And it flew open. And he was instantly sucked out of the aircraft. The co-pilot, seeing the red light that indicated an open door, radioed the nearest airport, requesting permission to make an emergency landing. And he reported that the pilot had fallen out of the plane. And he requested a helicopter search of that area of the ocean. And after the plane landed, he found Henry Dempsey holding on to the outdoor ladder of the aircraft. Somehow he had caught the ladder, held on for 10 minutes as the plane flew 200 miles an hour, an altitude of 4,000 feet. And then, at landing, kept his head from hitting the runway. It took the airport personnel several minutes to pry Dempsey's hands from the ladder. <laughs> Things in life may feel turbulent and you may feel like holding on, but have you considered the alternative? <laughs> it's not always good to let go, is it? You've got to hold on. I think I read this just recently, but it bears repeating. You don't mind me reading it again. It's called Don't Quit. Don't know who wrote it. When things go wrong as they sometimes will, and the road you're treading seems all uphill. When funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile but you can only sigh. When care is pressing you down a bit, rest of you must, but don't you quit. Life is queer with its twists and turns as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a person turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. So don't give up when the pace seems slow, you may succeed with another blow. Often the struggler has given up when he might have won the victor's cup. And he learned too late when the night came down how close he was to the golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver lining in the cloud of doubt. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worse that you must not quit. 
think the person who wrote that must have gone through some stuff. Then finally, have regard to the reward. Have regard to the reward. Second Timothy 4. Paul said, verse 6, For I am ready, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also all who have loved his appearing. You see how the Apostle Paul regarded the reward? You see how that at the end of his life, he said, there is a reward for me. We often talk about those who are deceased, those believers. We say they've gone to the reward. And that is so true. Every believer that has been faithful to the Lord in service will absolutely receive a reward. In Philippians 3.14, Paul says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And then 11, uh, sorry, Hebrews 11. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Listen to it. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Think what he gave up. Called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Had all of the wealth of Egypt at his disposal. All of the affluence and all of the influence at a tender age. And none of that went to his head. Amazing, isn't it? You know why? Because he knew that he was called of God. And he was quite prepared, and when the time came, he did, to give all of that up because there was a greater reward that would await him. It's amazing what you can give up and hand over and do without if you know that there is a greater reward awaits you. In Hebrews 12 and 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy that was set before him. Hmm. Do you know that part of the joy that was set before him was not just being reunited to the Father in the glory, not just being back to that position that he held at the right hand of the Father, but actually one day to have you and me see him in the glory that he had before the world began with the Father. You know, whenever you read his great prayer in John 17, that's the heart of what he prays. 
that we may see him in his glory that he had with the Father before the world began. And what joy that brought to his heart to be able to go through the pain and the suffering of the cross because he looked to the reward. And you or I are part of that reward, his reward, his inheritance in the saints. No wonder the writer to Hebrews 10, verse 35 and 36 says, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance or patience, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Hebrews 11 tells that there's some believed and yet did not receive the promise in this lifetime. I will not receive everything God has promised in this lifetime. But we're not going to let go of the promise. Because what we don't get in this life, we're going to get in the next. So he says, have patience, have endurance, that you might receive the promise. He says, it has great recompense of reward. Galatians 6 and 9, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. The enemy of your soul is trying to get you to lose heart because he knows a great reward awaits you. <laughs> he knows that a tremendous eternal future awaits you, but he wants you to lose heart. He doesn't want you to be blessed the way that God intends you to be blessed. But do not grow weary in well-doing. In due season, when the time is right, you will reap if you do not lose heart. And just about the last thing Christ, is recorded that Christ ever said, Revelation 22 and 12, Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. <laughs> Whenever you're a child, and your mom or your dad made you a promise. Maybe they went into Belfast for the day. You couldn't go. And they says, I'm going to bring you something back. I'm going to bring you a wee prezzy. And you couldn't wait. You couldn't wait. And as soon as they came through that door, the first thing you looked for was that wee parcel. And you couldn't wait to rip it open to see what it was because they brought it with them. And Jesus says, when I come back, I'm going to bring my reward with me for you. I'm going to personally give you your reward. Isn't that wonderful? Let me close with this. In Christ, this is anonymous. Don't know who wrote this either. In Christ, we have a love that never can be fathomed. A life that never can die. A righteousness that can never be tarnished. A peace that can never be understood. A joy that can never be diminished. A hope that can never be disappointed. A glory that can never be clouded. A light that never can be darkened. A happiness that never can be enfeebled. A purity that never can be defiled. A beauty that can never be marred. A wisdom that can never be baffled. And resources that can never be exhausted. The presence of Christ is the joy of my life. The service of Christ is the business of my life. And the will of Christ is the law of my life and the glory of Christ is the crown of my life. <laughs> and 
None of these things move me. Let's not be moved, amen. The old song says, we shall not, we shall not be moved. <laughs> Glory to God. I'm not going to sing it for you, by the way. <laughs> going to get Clifford to sing it. No, I'm not. I'm <laughs> Glory to God, amen. Isn't God good? Well, listen, I hope you're in prayer. Tuesday nights at the cell groups, Thursday night in a prayer meeting. I hope you're in prayer every day about the end of the month about this evangelistic outreach. Men and women will come into the house and they'll give their lives to Christ. Wasn't it lovely this morning to see Andrea here with her husband? Wasn't it lovely to see that? He's not saved yet, but he's